This week's dismal attempt to make a podcast is sponsored by Mrs. Cockle's Codpiece Boutique. This establishment sells only the finest new and reconditioned codpieces for men who feel that they need such things. You will find this frankly distasteful shop on the corner of Upper Ramsbottom Street and Frogstripper Lane. I've been there. It's as disgusting as it sounds. Honestly, this advert is just humiliating. Go to Mrs. Cockle's Codpiece Bazaar if you need to cover your particulars. Now leave me alone and listen to this podcast, which again features two of my lesser henchmen, Russ Morrissey and Peter Coffey. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Morris, a.k.a. Russ, and with me is my excitable yet eager compatriot... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Delighted as ever to be here, Russ. I just wanted, before we start, Peter, I just want to mention I have appeared on three podcasts, no. other podcasts. I've been cheating on this podcast. Ah, how could you? <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel betrayed? <laughs> betrayed. But not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic news. I, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. So, so disappointed. <laughs> which, which free podcast have you been on? Two weeks ago, I was on the Shane Plays podcast. Uh, we'll, oh, put yeah. the, we'll put the links to these in the um, show notes. And, of course, uh, of course. had a nice long um, hour-long chat with um, Shane over in the US, uh, during which he made me play our favourite game in all the world. Ah, I yes. I told you that before, didn't I? You did tell me that before. It uh, was hilarious then. And it's still funny now. That was, that was, that was an awesome chat. That was really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then appeared on uh, Victory Condition Gaming. Uh, Victory Condition yeah, Gaming. Um, Fantastic. What's that? that? Tabletop? Uh, yeah, Rob- yeah. Wargaming sort of thing. Uh, Wargaming and role-playing and miniatures game. It's they do various things. Nice. Um, so we talked for about, I think it was about 40 minutes and stuff, mainly mm-hmm. about Just Dread. Mm-hmm. Um, that is actually uh, not just uh, coming out as a podcast. It's already available as a video feed. Because it was a live um, YouTube live cast video hangout feed thing, you know those ah. things that Google does. You 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 mean you mean that people will be able to see your face? Yeah, sadly, sadly, I did try to wear a mask. But... <laughs> I thought the big crack down the middle of the lens would uh, give it away, but there we go. <laughs> okay, oh dear. Yeah, and the other one I was on last week called uh, "What Would the Smart Party Do," which is a couple of really really nice chaps from up north. <laughs> who, again, talked to me mainly about Judge Dredd, but also about this podcast Ooh. and other bits and pieces. And we had a nice, pleasant hour chatting away there. Fantastic. Um, so we'll put links to all three of those podcasts in the show notes. So please do go and check them out and um, tell them that we sent you. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to hearing those. So, Peter, what has caught your eye this week? Something that has been drawn back to my attention, because I'm planning a game, Russ, is mm. called, uh, it's a website called the Monsters Know. Oh, I think you've mentioned that before, actually. I yeah. may have mentioned it before, but I really, really like it. So I thought I'd give it another shout I'll out. I'll give, give it another little recap then. What, yeah. was, what is The Monsters Know? So The Monsters Know is a website where a gentleman is dedicated to providing GMs with tactics for monsters that fit their sort of statistic profiles. Like, you know, if you're strong, you're going to want to hit things. Is this for D&D mainly? It's mostly for D&D. Yeah. But... The principles behind it are obviously adaptable to any system whatsoever, which has anything vaguely like said monster. Have you got any sort of examples of the sort of tactics he recommends? Mm, yes, uh, I was reading about wyverns this morning. Oh, wyverns. I do like a yes. wyvern. Well, unless it's a wyvern. Wyvern, wyvern. <laughs> wyvern, wyvern. It's not like pronunciation matters on this podcast. Not at all. Especially names. <laughs> Especially names. Uh, yes. So they have a something like a 10-foot reach mm. with their like long... Uh, scorpoid, that's his word, not scorpoid. mine. Scorpoid? <laughs> scorpoid. It's like scorpion, but scorpion. I, re- I refuse to believe there's a word. Well, it was a word he wrote, so I'm, I'm not going to look it up to this screen. Fair I, I knew what he meant. All right. Isn't that important? Uh, yes, scorpoid tails and long biting beaks. So in general, they'll like try and fly along. They've got a 10-foot reach. So they won't enter into a 5-foot reach. So they'll just like fly along and say, oh, there you are. And give you a stabbing with the tail and a biting with the beak. That's what I would do if I had a 10-foot tail. Uh, absolutely. Give people a good stabbing. Well, exactly. <laughs> Especially if you'd like a big sting on the end. <laughs> Who uh, suits you, sir? <laughs> no, and um, and things like if they get grappled or so forth, they'll try and claw and bite and uh, dash away, which would normally incur 
like free hits from the party members. But mm. yeah, um, they, they, it's it's one of those things where it's like lying on the floor is not a good idea when surrounded by adventurers. Oh, well, generally, I think that's uh, yeah. lie on the floor. That's, that's a maxim to live your life by. Uh, I think. Yeah. Don't lie on the floor surrounded by adventurers. Yeah, true of wivens and whites and people alike. Yes. Mm. Yeah, as I say, it's an absolutely fantastic website. I think he's got a book where he um, provides similar advice to... Uh, blah, 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 blah. They've got names. Players. Players? Players, yes. He's What's got a, advice for players. What, what, what is a player? Oh, player. It, it, it's those people that you see on the other side of the GM screen, Russ. That keep on turning up at your house. Oh, I don't look at them. No. No. The, no. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to move. I think they can see your movement. <laughs> So that's what caught my eye, and um, I probably have mentioned it before, but I really like it, so I'll mention it again. Okay. Uh, what's caught your eye, Russ? Uh, well, uh, last week on mm. Thursday, we finally started our Pathfinder 2 playtest campaign. Ooh. As you know, the books, we got them a little bit too late to start at the same time as everyone else. We mm-hmm. may have missed, I think, some of the... Because they're doing surveys oh, yes, um, yeah. for each each of the sort of seven-part adventures, and I think we may have missed the first one or two. Okay. Um, so we started on Thursday, and um, I have to say, I enjoyed it immensely. Fantastic. I think I did some things wrong. Um, there was this... Um, so spoilers for the first adventure, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's not a massive spoiler. There's a, there's a room with some giant centipedes in it, Ooh. and they have a poison, and the poison was utterly lethal. I'm, I'm fairly <laughs> sure we did it wrong. I'm sure we did. Because if, if you do do it the way we did it, it would have been a TPK. I kind of had, to, I kind of had to hand wave a little bit there. Because it's right near the beginning as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you open the door, you go in. Okay, some giant centipedes. They sting you. You die. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah, we did, I'm sure we did the poison rules wrong. Yeah. So what, what it basically was, so we got, uh, there's a seven part adventure. It's called Doomsday Dawn. They were quite short. And you go, you go through all the seven um, parts, and each one, I think, mm-hmm. kind of focuses on a different aspect of Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Then you answer the surveys, and then they adjust the rules accordingly. Okay. Ready for the main release. So they've had two sort of uh, uh, playtest document updates so far. Mm-hmm. So it's, but you know, you know when you get a, um, you get a computer game, yeah. and the first thing it does is it patches itself. Yeah. So you've got to do that as well when you start playing Pathfinder 2 now. <laughs> so you, you've got to get the update documents for the playtest, because they've totally changed the death and dying rules, right? Uh, and the way skills work already. Interesting. Um, uh, for the better? Uh, I couldn't tell you, because I didn't do the previous one. Oh, of so, course. Uh, yeah. so, so it's all, it's, all, it's all new stuff for you. Yeah. Um, so it's seven parts, uh, and in some of them you don't necessarily play the same characters as well. In the second part, apparently, you have to make new fourth-level characters because they want to test specific things, yes. for which some, for some of the adventures they need a fairly sort of specific type of party so they can properly test mm, test mm-hmm. certain things. Okay. Um, so apparently the characters you make in the first adventure do recur. It's not like a different character every adventure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you will be throughout the sort of adventure path playing more than one character. Oh, okay. And there's, there's no levelling up either. Each adventure just tells you, right, you need fourth level characters for this adventure. Okay, mm-hmm. for this one, it's seventh level characters. Mm-hmm. This is what we're testing. Nice. So, yeah, started that. Enjoyed that. Um, can't wait to play some more. And I think once I've played sort of like three or four weeks of it, I think I quite like to do a sort of a Pathfinder 2 in-depth topic of the week. That would be amazing. I'll I... wait till I know a bit more before I do that. Otherwise, I'll be sitting here going, um, an awful lot. Well, I should probably get a copy of the Pathfinder playtest rules just so that I'm not sitting here going, mm, a lot. That <laughs> well, always can... makes for fantastic radio. Well, you can download them for free. Ooh. Or I've got the uh, uh, soft cover sort of book. I'm oh. not sure whether you can still buy that or not. I think maybe you can. Um, but... I'm going to put a link to where you can download it for free and how to get involved in surveys, and that will be in the show notes. Yes, it will. Okay, how would you like to do the news? The same way we always do. <laughs> you read something out to me, I make interesting noises. All right, we'll do it that way then, shall we? <laughs> Call me an old traditionalist, but otherwise I'd have to make the news up and that would be no fun at all. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know Waterdeep Dragon Heist came out recently? Oh, it, it rings bells. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sequel, Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage is coming out on, uh, what was it, November 13th. Ooh. And uh, D&D's Chris Perkins has uh, sort of leaked half a page of it. Mm. And it's quite interesting because there's some Spelljammer hints in there. Uh, Spelljammer? You mean there's the opportunity to go um, floating around the ether in a big ship and cruising the magical 
height, space well, height. No, points. I think it's just a sort of like Easter egg more than anything else. But basically, oh, okay. the half page shows um, level 19 of the dungeon. What? So just the introduction to it. And Why it's level it have 19. Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean in it? Um, no, that's a mind flare. But it's wearing a frock coat. But there's a spell jack. It's a spell jammer mind flare. Oh, it's a spell. Oh, I see. So it's like a pirate mind flare. Yes. Oh. Um, so level 19 of the dungeon is uh, called the Caverns of Ooze. Solid. And um, it involves a crashed spell jammer where the crew is hiding out in an ooze filled cavern to escape their hungry mind flare captain. It's like for four 15th level PCs who should be 16th level if they don't become ooze or mind flare food. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. Well, well the good um, news so is you'll level up. The bad news is there's a lot of ooze. Yeah, well, I'll stick a link in the show notes of that just so people can see that half page there. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, like I say, it's got. Um, he also has a small rat, possibly some sort of marsupial type. Um, that might be Minsk. Who knows? Boo, sorry, not me. Okay, but... Ah, you think it might be a giant miniature space hamster? Yeah, maybe. Go for the eyes. I'm guessing that's what it must be, because they're spelljammer related. Really? Mm. To there I learned. Yeah, it says here, uh, the ship's mind flare captain uh, mm. was forced to eat the brains of several shipmates to survive. The remainder of the crew fled into the caverns and had taken refuge in the ooze-filled caverns around the ship. In other news, jumping into some Pathfinder news, um, you know the uh, first ever Pathfinder Adventure Path. I did from not. back in 2007. So okay. one, it was just before the Pathfinder game even existed. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a, an adventure path called uh, Rise of the Rune Lords, and it launched their whole adventure path line, which is... Oh, yes, I have actually heard of Rise of the Rune Lords, so mm-hmm. good, exciting times. Well, Pinesaw have just announced a new campaign, which is the first edition Pathfinder, so not the new playtest, mm-hmm. uh, called Return of the Rune Lords. Uh, six adventures, and it's their biggest ever adventure path, because I don't think they usually do this. Mm-hmm. But this goes from levels 1 all the way through to 20. What? Big, 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 long one. That is, what, about three, four years of gameplay right there? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long it would take, but yeah, quite a while. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so two of the adventures are already available. The first two are Secrets of Roderick's Cove, Ooh. and it came from Hollow Mountain. <laughs> and then they'll be followed up in October with Rune Plague November with Temple of the Peacock Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in December, we have the city outside of time. Mm-hmm. And in January, we have Rise of New Thassalon. Wow. That's a lot of interesting names to conjure with. Yeah. Uh, have we heard anything about Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica? Because that's due out in November. Yeah, uh, nothing nothing really new yet. And there is a little bit of information about Ravnica. Uh, we do have a little bit of news about Ravnica. Excellent. Um, so um, the biggest question has been answered. Um, so mm-hmm. as Ravnica is a Magic the Gathering setting, they have mm-hmm. like these mana colours yes. in Magic the Gathering. Um, and uh, people have been wondering how, how they're going to be dealt with in D&D. Yes. Or whether they're going to be dealt with in D&D at all. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is no, they won't. That's fair. At least not in terms of game mechanics. No. Um, uh, so the colours um, will influence like the themes and the philosophies and stuff of that of the various guilds and things. Yes. But on a mechanical spell level, they're not going to mm. have any specific effects. No. Um, also, uh, apparently the book is going to have several new playable races. Oh, we knew that anyway. Several yes. new playable races. It'll also have almost as many monsters as Mordenkind's Tome of Foes had. Mm. Um, and uh, designer James Wyatt, he's given a, a sort of canonical reason for these races and monsters to show up in other D&D worlds, such as mm-hmm. the Forgotten Realm, should you want yeah. to use them. Um, this is the uh, the Cult of Rakdos, which is a travelling demonic cult circus. Yes. Um, there is a, a travelling act across the plains. So that's how you can sort of justify having these races in your Forgotten Realms campaign or whatever other setting you've got. That's in, in case the words, eh, magic. Proves to be insufficient, or they just fell through a portal. Yeah. That happens too. Yeah. Uh, so that comes out November the 20th. Ah. New Pathfinder playtest survey out, answer our ancestry and class mechanics. Um, it's a long one. There's, um, it asks questions about every single class in the playtest, mm-hmm. although you can skip the ones you don't want to answer. Um, the ancestry survey, on the other hand, you could answer all the questions, but it's not quite as long. Uh, ancestry uh, race. They, uh, so oh. in Pathfinder, they don't use the word race anymore. They say ancestry. Oh, okay, makes sense. I like that actually. That's nice. Mm. Um, Pathfinder Kingmaker. 
Uh, it was an adventure path a while back. Well, yes. a few years back, in fact, um, mm-hmm. and quite a popular one. Yeah. Um, the computer, the video game, the sort of isometric, sort of Baldur's Gate style RP, uh, computer RPG is coming out in mm. September. Uh, yeah. This month, in fact. September the 25th is tomorrow or yesterday, depending when you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, first of all, leave time be. Leave time be. <laughs> It's coming out on September 25th. September the 25th, which by the time you hear this, it will be out. Um, uh, yeah, um, I've seen a couple of trailers for it and stuff like that. It really is very reminiscent of um, sort of Baldur's Gate and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember seeing the Kickstarter for it. It probably be about two, three years ago now, I guess. Was it? Yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been a long time. But then uh, that's the nature of computer games for you. They do take a while to that. Well, I'm really interested in this. I'm definitely going to pick that one up because um, mm. I really enjoyed Baldur's Gate. This is, it uses uh, the Pathfinder First Edition rules, or a slightly modified mm-hmm. Pathfinder First Edition rules. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Am I picking that up? Mm. Um, what was, there's also another uh, video game of a tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Call of Cthulhu is coming out. Ooh, Tentacular. October the 30th. Couple of, yeah. um, couple oh, of just in time available. for Halloween. Get in. Yeah. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. I didn't click there. Yeah. <laughs> that does make sense. Um, so there was a there was a look at the game itself from the developers um, showing off some of the graphics and gameplay. And there's this, there's this hour-long demo you can watch. Um, they say there's about 10 to 15 hours of play in the game or okay. up to 20 if you want to take your time exploring as a first person perspective okay. um, combat and you know it being Call of Cthulhu combat's not really the focus it's more yeah. sort of exploration don't, and uh, investigation and stuff yeah. don't, don't, don't fight things it seldom ends well hmm. yeah. do you remember we talked about Gamma sort of board of directors having some trouble a while back oh yes yes they managed to get into the publicity for all the wrong reasons yeah, yeah. um so have, have they fixed that now um, not really but <laughs> oh. there's a little, a little bit more news has come out so the uh, gamma um the, the game trade association something like that yeah game manufacturers association sorry gamma uh, they make gams yeah so you remember their um president stephen uh, or stephen uh, brissard got thrown out of gen con for uh, being aggressive towards Gen Con staff while setting yeah. up his booth. Um, so there's this f- footage from security cameras of it, which ICP2 really? managed to sort of get hold of and posted it on their website. Oh, and okay. you can't really see much. I've watched it. You can't really see yeah. much. It's from a bit of a distance. You see mm-hmm. him arguing with someone who is unfortunately kind of just behind a wall. Yeah. Um, and then you see him stride forward behind that wall somewhat aggressively, but you never see the person he's arguing with or what happened after that. Yeah. But you can say, you can sort of see there was a Oh, dear. Of some kind. oh dear. Um, uh, So uh, Gamma has voted to officially censure the uh, the president for his actions at GenCon. So they released a, a statement mm-hmm. uh, back on the 18th, which is what last week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only method um, by their that their bylaws allow to sort of punish mm-hmm. a board member is yeah. apparently exclusion. Uh, and uh, they say that because neither Gencorn nor the Indianapolis Police Department have furthered any action for punishment, mm-hmm. um, they didn't feel it was appropriate. So, you know, yeah, so they, um, they, there's a meeting for of Gamma members scheduled for next week, and it sounds like it might be a little contentious. And of course, uh, Deputy Director Angela mm. Ward got fired recently, and Executive mm. Director John Ward's contract wasn't mm. renewed recently. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next week uh, or so. Uh, Angela Ward and John Ward, are they related? Uh, I don't know. Don't think so. Okay. Hello, your editor, Daryl here. I've been covering this story for a while over on Ian World, and to be completely honest, I don't know either. Maybe. I, I, I was just wondering. <laughs> they had the same name. Yes. So, yeah, so, I, didn't, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> <you said> it. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah well, it certainly sounds uh, interesting. Perhaps they feel that the like the public embarrassment that comes with being kicked out is um, enough as it is. But yeah, yeah maybe, we'll, see, maybe. We'll, see, we'll see what the members say, maybe, really. maybe. Yeah. Uh, what else? Yeah. Uh, so we've got a uh, Mr. Mike Mills, one of the lead Mills, designers Mills. of D and D. Yes, yes, he did that little, little game uh, involving furnished caverns and reptile arsonists. I yes, remember. that's the one. That's the yes. one. Uh, so he posted this long Twitter thread. Oh yeah, sure. Um, uh, it was all about sort of D and D and its kind of overall design goals and stuff, yes. and how that's changed over previous editions. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, so mm-hmm. I posted the whole lot on uh, in an article on EN World. Um, it's a bit too long for me to read out here. If you, if, if you look here, you see it's like oh wow, yes, okay, it's, it's long. It's yeah. like a, it's like a mini essay. But basically, some of the some of the bits and places that he touched on, for example, um, they they asked themselves um, who they were making the game for. 
Yes. And whether they were trying to sort of um, cater towards the segment of community, which uh, I say less than pleasant. He used stronger terminology. Oh dear. Um, but uh, did, he, did he say a basket of deplorables? Um, no, that was someone else. Yeah, let's, let's, let's say that. <laughs> um, he basically says that D and D's gotten out of the business of trying to fix obnoxious people. And it's good plan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the only way an obnoxious person is going to be fixed is if they want yeah. to fix themselves. He also talks a bit about how sort of 3.5 and 4E, mm-hmm. and I guess by extension Pathfinder, um, mm-hmm. he says that uh, uh, the design of them were sort of driven by, he says, an anxiety about controlling the experience of the game and leaving as little as possible to chance. Mm-hmm. In other words, by having a comprehensive rule set compared yes. to D&D 5th edition, which is quite a bit lighter. Yes. Um, and he says the downside of this approach is the rules become comprehensive to a fault and the game's rules bloated. And at the same time, they were driven by the idea that D&D players wanted as many character options as possible. Mm. And uh, he says that these two aims, they play together in a terrible way from a design perspective. Well, obviously that's his opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. And he's... Fairly entitled to it. Well, yeah, but as he's one of the lead designers on D and D, that's he's basically saying this is how this is what guided the development of fifth edition. It, but, well, I, and, and to be fair, that is a criticism that's often levelled at Pathfinder yeah. that it has quite a lot of detail and there's quite a lot of devil to be found in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and the sheer amount, the sheer quantity of splat books has been intimidating. Certainly for Pathfinder, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, certainly more than three point five ever had. No, well, it's been around for much longer than three point five ever was. So, uh, uh, but. One could equally say that there is a certain amount of criticism that uh, Fifth Ed hasn't been providing uh, new grist to the of creativity. Def- definitely something people have been saying. I've seen yes. that online. And uh, basically, uh, I'd go on to say that uh, mm-hmm. he says that um, the D&D design ethos is uh, less on sort of specific mechanical mm. advantages and more on narrative and identity. Okay. So basically what he's, he's said in sort of broader terms is, is in more of a story game kind of approach rather than mm. a sort of rules crunchy yeah. um, RPG which I think I can agree that's it, it is definitely more towards the storytelling end than 3.5 or Pathfinder were yeah it's like sort of I mean it's not a storytelling game in the sense that some games are no, um, no much absolutely. lighter but, but uh, well yeah I mean it's it depends where you want to have your focus on it's like yeah. it, it, is it in the nuts and bolts of like the gaming side or is it like in yeah. the, uh, well, I think basically the fifth edition designers sort of made it, made it, made a call and made a choice and decided who it was that they were going to cater towards. And this is not mm. the first time um, Mike Mills has yeah. talked about this and uh, about how like fifth edition has definitely decided we're going to go for the sort of lighter, more storytelling, character-driven, narrative-driven end yeah, yeah. Of, of the sort of D and D fan base, and that's worked really well for them in terms of that being really easy to live stream. Mm. Yes. Whereas yes. a pool's heavy game is harder to live stream, and that's worked really well for them. I, and and also, I will say, the massive explosion in board game popularity, which by far strips role-playing game Absolutely. popularity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got games like Gloomhaven, which I haven't played, but which I keep on being told I should, is essentially a dungeon crawl in a box, but with mm. all this role-playing business, mm. except that's how you choose to bolt it on afterwards. So potentially by going for focusing on the more story-driven aspects, which is an area where board games are going to struggle to really compete, mm. that that could well be the area where uh, Fifth Ed and role-playing games find its future. Yeah, I don't well, know, but this uh, this topic sort of uh, exploded a bit on the N world. If you have a look, there's uh, coming up to five hundred comments on that article now. Ooh, okay, there's pages and pages and pages of comments because yeah. this obviously really hit some people sort of positively or negatively yes, he said, yes. and people are kind of uh, discussing it let's say quite um, passionately I think is, is the word so, so wearing your moderator hat I've had to step world. in a couple of times to tell people to calm down a bit but yeah it's, uh, it's an interesting discussion it's uh, you know, like mm. five much comments long you might want to read it all but yeah, well yeah uh, get a spare hour or two yeah. go yeah. spelunking why yeah. not uh, what else have we got in the news is there anything else in the news well there was a kickstarter yesterday I just wanted to mention so yesterday, on Tuesday the 25th, uh, Just Dread and the Worlds of 2000 AD, the Kickstarter finally launched and it went really well and or went really badly, delete sh- as appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see you're uh, going for the hedging game in the prophecy business. It, I've, I've, got, I've got a good feeling about it. I think by the time people hear this, um, it will have launched pretty well. I, I've got well, We've done so much work on it and it's we've planned it down to a fault and I've done so much publicity for it and I've done everything right so 
Okay, so I did my editing for this episode out of order so that this would be the very last thing I'm doing, so it's the most up-to-date information. The Judge Dread and Worlds of 2000 AD Kickstarter met its funding goal of 7,500 pounds in only nine minutes from launch and is currently at 64,876 pounds, which is about $85,519 from a total of almost 800 backers. However, this has been skyrocketing so fast that by the time I get this episode uploaded and you've actually listened to this far, those numbers are going to be horribly out of date and inaccurate again. So make sure to check the show notes for the link to the Kickstarter. I think it's, I think it's going to be a nice solid launch. And we should definitely look out for the full page adverts in 2000 AD. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Rebellion have given us a full page um page uh, i mean you can see it right up there on my on my computer monitor gorgeous isn't it well, well yes but the people at home can't uh, no they the people at home you said the people at home cannot see my living room i know it's as i say probably as well one really day, one day we'll do a live we'll do a live one we'll see a camera then we'll do an episode live and yeah. people sort of uh, possibly join. possibly <laughs> maybe we can afford it eh? what, could, what could possibly go wrong <laughs> no but we've got uh just dread showing just dread in 2000 worlds of 2000 ad and also the Robot Wars mission pack, mm. and saying you should get in on this uh, creep. Well, since since it's yeah. since the Kickstarter has now launched, mm-hmm. so I can sort of maybe sort of uh, very very quickly just discuss yeah. what some of the um, pledge level things are. You certainly yeah. can tell me more because it's no longer a secret, is it? Yeah, yeah because everyone knows by now it's been launched. Um, yeah, so yeah. at the bottom end, you get about twenty pounds. Will get you the uh, PDF nice. of the game. Yeah. Uh, is uh, there is there a one dollar pledge so you can like? Put your money in now and then pick it up later. Well, just as a bookmark. Yeah, yeah, we'll probably there'll probably be one of those yesterday. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Time travel. It's so in right now. <laughs> um, yes, just to, just to clarify to you listeners, as you listen to this, we are joking around about the times, but yes, it has already launched from your point of view. This is not a drill. Repeat. This is not a drill. It, has, it has already launched. Um, so uh, then, um, sort of in the region of, I think it's thirty-five pounds mm-hmm. for the core rulebook. Yeah, yeah. And then we're also offering a package with the core rulebook. Yeah. The Robot Wars mm. um, hundred-page soft cover book. Oh, nice. The GM screen, mm, which has, of course, the handy list of offenses and time in the ISO cubes on, on the player on the facing side. Yeah. yeah. And um, also a set of counters. A set of counters. Which we haven't talked about until yet because uh, we were still, we've still been working ferociously on them for the last two weeks and making sure mm. we got them ready to go and approved by Rebellion before launch. Mm. Um, because, as you know, we always um, only do Kickstarters for things we've done. Yes. Yeah. yes. So um, these counters, are, they're, they're gorgeous. They're sort of uh, round cardboard one-inch counters which pop out of the sheet for all the various creatures and foes in mm. the Core book and yeah. in the Robot Wars. Plus some of the pre-gen characters from the Core Book. Plus some, <laughs> I love I love the Law Masters. So you got a sort of uh, Law Masters, which are like two inches by one inch. Oh, yeah. They've got a little circle on them, which is where you place your judge character when he's oh, fighting you, you, the Law Master. You got your little judge, judge character's face, and you like, oh yes, he's on the Law Master. Yeah, bonk, and away you go. Yeah, oh fantastic. So yeah, that launched yesterday. Please head on over. Um, link will be in the show notes. But the uh, Kickstarter right. has launched. It launched amazingly, I'm sure. So. Judge Red and the Worlds of 2000 AD out on Kickstarter now. Mm. Very exciting. Okay then, so what would you like to do next? Oh, how about we play our favourite game in the entire world? Alright, let's play our favourite game in all the world. Okay. I guess the Kickstarter just the name alone. Okay, yeah. let's do that then. Woo-hoo. Why not? Yes. Okay, our favourite game in all the world where I tell you the name of a Kickstarter and you have to guess what it is. Yes. Knowing nothing else about it. Number one, what is Judge Dread and the Worlds of 2018? Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> it's a difficult one, isn't it, it? It feels familiar, almost as though we talked about it very, very recently. Yeah. I think it might be um, some sort of game, maybe involving Judge Dread, just saying from the, maybe the Worlds of 2000 AD, so like, you know, Dennis the Menace. Um, <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, that's wrong comment. That's um, entirely different comment. Uh, 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 no, no, just Dread, Judge Anderson, uh, Rogue Trooper, Nemesis the Warlock, Call Me Careful, all those sort of exciting 2080 figures. And it'll probably be, I'm going to say some sort of 
D6 dice pool system. Yeah. All Maybe right. A million, points, a million points. A million points. Let's skip hey! over that. <laughs> you do the risks. <laughs> okay, then. How about this one? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like this one. Occam's Razor. Oh, fantastic. Well, Occam's Razor in the intellectual sense is that the simplest explanation is usually correct. Yes, it is. So how does that translate into a role-playing game? Mm, that is the question. Mm, well, yes, that's why I asked. <laughs> um, what are you hoping I would answer? <laughs> well, <laughs> poker face. <laughs> now, I'm going to say Occam's Razor is going to be an X-Files style game. I think it's probably like an original system or something like that. Mm. Um, probably sort of a storytelling game where it's like trying to find... where where. Occam's razor, the simplest explanation is usually correct, it's always untrue because there's always something more complicated going on. Hmm. How's that? Not very good. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's it about then? Um, so it's a book of six adventures for Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Um, the adventures are all written by Brian M. Sammons. Um, they all have like this sort of dark tone and mm. um, they're sort of uh, prompted by things like True Detective and American Horror Story. Okay, so... Didn't get the Call of Cthulhu, but thematically, not a million miles off. Mm. Well, well, I, I don't know. Have you seen True Detective? Well, I saw the first one. I haven't seen the second. I saw a bit of the second yeah. one. I didn't get through the second one. An American Horror Story? I've never seen that, no. Okay. And X-Files? It's in X-Files, yeah. Yeah, so you see, you see where I'm coming from. It's like sort of an investigatory thing set in the modern day. But, okay, no. I didn't say those, that exact roles used in those exact well, words. Let me, so let me X-Files tell you what the adventures are. Yeah, tell me So the adventures are yeah. six of them. There's a deep and dark... Yeah. Um, the investigators find a snuff film on the dark web. Ooh. Ooh, but one of a pretty girl getting mauled by a fish man. Ooh. Did the deep ones mess up and accidentally get filmed in this modern world? Or is it something else? Wow, well, that's pretty grim. Eye of the Beholder? An art student goes missing while doing late night research at a museum. Mm. Classic Maybe Lovecraft. it's a coincidence, but the museum just got in a huge statue of a little-known death god called Thulcathol. Bless you. <laughs> oh, sorry, right, yes. <laughs> Lovecraftian names. <laughs> um, so I won't read them all out, but there's The Watchers, A Whole Pack of Trouble, A Cleansing Flame, and uh, Visions from Beyond as well, with the other four. I'm so, oh, right, I'll give you five. Uh, five out of ten there. Oh, okay. That's fair. 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 Yeah. All right. It's not unreasonable. Okay. What is the Jack Hat? The Jack Hack. The Jack Hack complete, in fact. Is, uh... I'm going to guess it's related to the White Hack and the Black Hack and is a way to produce OSR games. And it's done by someone called Jack, <laughs> I think. Unless it's um, a hack for Knave. Could that be something else? Uh, okay, so it's, yeah. um, well, it's by someone called John rather than Jack. Well, yes, yeah, <laughs> Jack is a common nickname for John. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's a Victorian, it's a role-playing game of Victorian villains. Ooh. Um, the main thrust oh, of the Jack, Jack the Ripper. Nice. is a game to beat the odds in the depravity of late Victorian London. Mm-hmm. Particular focus, um, as you just said, on the Whitechapel yeah. area just before and around the times of the infamous Jack the Ripper murders. The pieces aren't heroes, no. but they aren't meant to be downright cool either. They're mm. just trying to get by. Yes. Ooh. That was quite interesting, that actually. Yeah, what was And there's five books there. What system is it hacking, if you don't mind me asking? Um, Does it say? It's just called the hack. It says it is, as you said, inspired by the black hack, so. Mm-hmm. Presumably, whatever the base for that is. Uh, the jack hack, the black hack, the white hack. Ah. Uh, yeah, sure. yeah, I'll give you uh, six out of ten for that. You're feeling very generous today. Uh, it must be a good mood. <laughs> Uh, okay, should we do one more? If there was, um, yeah, that's the one. Blades and blasters. We did that, didn't we? Did what? Blades and blasters. I seem to remember that one. Nope. News to me. Oh no, this is the one. Okay, no. Yeah. So this is the one. One of the ones that uh, Shane asked me when I appeared on his podcast. Ah. Yes. So okay, I'll pass it on. So blades <laughs> and blasters. What is blades and blasters? Um, I'm sort of tempted to go and say it's like lasers and feelings. That's some sort of setting for that. Because they do a lot of dual alliteration like that. So Blades and Blasters would be sort of sci-fi space opera, possibly involving space pirate ships. <laughs> that, 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 that'd be shooting from the hip, what I'd say. Well, I, I don't know if I can say narrow it down to Lasers and Feelings has a setting specifically. But yeah, Blades and Blasters, 
um, space pirate, space opera, possibly touch of grey lens, but then there. Yeah. Okay. So five out of ten. You're a theme, right? But <laughs> you sort of veered off on the system because it's for fifth edition D and D. Really? So it's a fifth edition D and D alien invasion rulebook and bestiary. Okay. Um, interesting. That's that's an interesting choice. Yeah. Lists of weapons, vehicles, technologies, a rich selection of alien creatures, and all of these with the core fifth edition rules makes up the Blades and Blasters bestiary and rulebook. Interesting. So. So if you want to play basically D and D in space, that's yeah, that's just where you go, I guess. Yeah, but sort of like making a high fantasy dungeon exploring system, which it does extremely well, and then hacking it to produce an alien invasion. Uh, yeah, sure, why not? Hmm. I'm sure they should put a lot of work into it, and it's going to be an excellent product. Hmm. Well, that's our favourite game in all the world. Finished. Okay. You did quite well there. You scored plus a million, minus a million. And then what do you got? You got a couple of fives and a six, maybe. Yeah, no, it's good week. Ah, good week, man. Good week. It's okay. Yeah. That wasn't too bad. <laughs> Next subject, Dalek Leon, exterminator, waste disposal, file section, new employee, six days. Come in, sit down. I cannot sit. I am nervous when I take tests. Uh, just please don't move. I have already had an IQ test this year. I don't think I've ever had one of these. Reaction time is a factor in this, so please pay attention. Now answer as quickly as you can. I obey. Cruiser 1187. That's the battleship. What? Where I live. Nice place. Is that part of the test? No, just warming you up, that's all. Oh, it's not fancy. It is a Dalek battleship. You're in a desert, walking along in the sand, when all of a sudden... Is this the test now? Yes, you're in a desert walking along in the sand when all of a sudden you look down. Which one? What? Which desert? It doesn't make any difference what desert. It's completely hypothetical. Why am I there? Maybe you're fed up with exterminating things. Maybe you want to be by yourself. Who knows? You look down and you see a tortoise, Leon. It's crawling towards you. What is a tortoise? Know what a turtle is? Of course. Same thing. I have never seen a turtle. But I understand what you mean. You reach down. You flip the tortoise over on its back, Leon. I would exterminate it. Do you make up these questions, Mr. Holden? Or do they write them down for you? The tortoise lays on its back. Because I exterminated it? No. It lays on its back, its belly baking in the hot sun. Because it has been exterminated? That's not how it works. By me? I exterminated it? Let me finish. The tortoise lays on its back, its belly baking in the hot sun, beating its legs, trying to turn itself over, but it can't. Not without your help. But you're not helping. Why would I help? I am a Dalek. I would exterminate it. What do you mean? I mean you're not helping. Why is that, Leon? They're just questions, Leon. In answer to your query, they're written down for me. It's a test designed to provoke an emotional response. Shall we continue? Describe in single words only the good things that come into your mind about your creator. My creator? Yeah. Let me tell you about my creator. Exterminate! Um, so, uh, how would you like to do a brand new section, Peter? <gasps> I'd be super excited to do a brand new section. I'm sure nobody in the world has ever done anything like this before. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about a reviews section? But, here's the mm. catch. Not our reviews. Interesting. The reviews of our wonderful listeners. The reviews of our... They do have a lot of opinions. They do. And it would be good to hear from them. It would be good to hear sort of uh, what they think of recent RPG releases. And we could read those out on air. Ooh. And if they've got anything interesting, witty, or informative to say as well, we could read that out too. That does sound good. So I thought, uh, what we could do, we could set a few parameters, a few rules. Um, I, I, I did mention this on Facebook the other day, so we've got, oh. we've got some to start with. Uh, so for those, those of you who uh, uh, follow our Facebook page... Yeah, our, our official Morris's yeah. unofficial tabletop uh, uh, RPG yeah, talk so, 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 podcast so we've already Facebook got some, page. Yeah, so what we'll say is... Mm-hmm. Um, you can uh, email your reviews to uh, morrispodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of caveats. One, it's got to be something that came out in the last month. Mm-hmm. You want to keep it topical and current. Exactly. Uh, two, um, it's got to be something available in the shops. 
So if it's only available in PDF, I think let's just for now let's let's keep it to things available in the shops. We'll hit the major releases, and that will just kind of narrow it down a little bit and focus us a bit more. Uh, and finally, try and make your review kind of short. We don't want to read out an essay. Um, a short, so like two or three sentences, is fine. Yes. Um, you know, and uh, if you've got anything else you want to say to us, like how wonderful and what an amazing fan of the podcast you are, then you are more than welcome to do that. It could happen. Because <laughs> we like compliments. <laughs> we or you could tell us how much you hate us. You can say that as well if you want. Yeah, Either or both. You can say both if you like. You can say both. You can say how much you like me and how much you hate, hate Peter. Yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> go on, go um, with it. So should we like take our turns with these then? Oh, yes. Uh, the first one, uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I've got uh, a few comments on Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Sean Ellsworth. Okay. Um, he says, and I will warn, there may be a couple of minor spoilers in this review section, oh. um, but hopefully nothing too major. Um, and uh, you can also use any scoring system you want. Give it a mark out of five, give it an A, B, C, D, give it, I don't know, four, whatever you want. Any any scoring system you want. We'll mix and match. We'll read out whatever scoring system you come up with. The more creative, the better. You, you can even use Russ's special special scoring system that he uses for marking <laughs> our game in all the world ever. We'd yes. be delighted to hear it. You can decipher the... Uh, Decipher the spreadsheet. Do try and keep it to rational and real numbers. <laughs> that would be favourite. <laughs> uh, so Sean Ellsworth has in fact kept it to rational and uh, real numbers. He says four out of five rating. He says from the barbell at the start to the showdown at the end, it's a well-paced adventure that isn't afraid to let slower moments in as well. Dragon Heist is a solid and replayable event-driven urban adventure for characters of levels one to five. But whether it's for you depends on what you and your group are looking for. Good review there, good review. Uh, indeed. That's, yeah, that's the sort of length we're looking for as well. Yes. So here's one from Lauren GM. Three out of five rating for Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Their summary would go has, all in all, I really do like this book. It has a few major flaws that are worth pointing out, but it's still a case of the good outweighing the bad. The city feels lively in the pages and is a great setting for an adventuring party to start in. It is a good adventure to take a party from level 1 to 5, providing a good alternative to experience the M's who want something different from Lost Minds of Fandelva in the starter set. This book is a good start for a new campaign, especially for moving on to Storm King's Thunder or Prince of the Apocalypse, both of which could very easily flow into. But it could have been a starter set version too, good with a bit more care and work. As it is, it would be hard to recommend to new DMs or those looking for a complete out-of-the-box experience. For anyone else, it should be a great adventure. Just be prepared as DM to do a little more heavy lifting than you might have expected to fill in for some of the shortcomings. Well, thank you to <coughs> Lauren for that one. Uh, so, uh, Call of Cthulhu came out with the uh, new edition of Masks of uh, Nayarth. Nayarth, I can never say that word. Nyarlathotep. How do you pronounce that word? I pronounce it Nyarlathotep. Okay. Well, whatever, whenever it's pronounced. Um, so uh, so uh, Biotech 66 gives this one a 5 out of 5 rating for the new mask of... Uh, um, yeah, la, 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 la. For the new uh, masks, of course. <laughs> um, so it says, uh-huh. every D&D player explores the term of horrors. It's in almost every edition and it gets reprinted. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, a product is nurtured, loved and cared for until it matures like fine wine. And that's exactly what happens here. The seventh edition, Masks of Nialo Thotep, is a phenomenal product that is well worth the considerable money you're putting into it. I love the writing, the mechanics, and the overall presence of this thing. It's got some flaws, but those are minor issues that will not distract from the amazing product here. If you've got some money and want to play some Call of Cthulhu, this is your purchase. 98.3% he gives it. 98, nice. A very precise score there. 98.3%. And the last one we got, we got one for the Pathfinder playtest rulebook. Oh. Well, um, it's playtest. I'm not sure that's a fair. That's well, it's you know, yeah. it exists and it's out there. Um, It's not a... Uh... Do you have to pay money for it? Hmm? Do you have to pay for it? Uh, you can get it, you can download it for free, or you can physically buy the um huh. the hardcover copy. Uh, so um, we got um two very quick reviews of that one. We got a uh, four out of five from Biotech 66, who says, uh, too long, didn't read. Great crunch, decent fluff, horrible layout, 89%. A solid showing. Uh, so, uh, so Peter, what's, what's this week's topic? What's the topic of the week? Oh, I thought we could do a topic this week and potentially keep it carrying over onto other weeks. Has oh. um, in something part of an ongoing series, so that's some sort of grand plan, joining them all together. What do you think? Is that a crazy plan? Sure. So what, what, what is the topic you had in mind? 
how to run a game of D and D. Okay, I can I can roll with that. Yeah. How to run a game of D and D. Do it all from your initial thought of saying, "Huh, I could run a game here," to actually getting it going. Right. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what we've got is, I suppose, the things you have to do is you have to have an idea for a game. Where do you get your ideas for your games? Um, I am a blatant uh, media thief. Strong choice. So like it. Movies, TV. You take them, you sort of wrap them in a slightly different skin, mm-hmm. and then you just sort of, you know, whether it's some TV episode of Buffy or something, or whether it's change uh, the names, file the serial yeah, numbers exactly. off. Exactly. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of doing that, and I found mm-hmm. that stood me uh, stood me in really good stead over the years. Mm, that very, very strong. Plan. I mean, that's assuming I do it in a homebrew as opposed to. Mm. Running a published adventure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, running published adventures is a perfectly valid way to get started. If you don't feel confident in... Uh, it's just one more variable to... Well, starter produce. kits are amazing. I mean, yes. the D&D beginner kit is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Lost Minds of Fandelva is great, great starting adventure. And it does, yes. you know, uh, it holds your hand yes. through that starting period. So I think it does that very well. And... Um, Mm-hmm. I think the uh, Pathfinder starter kit, beginner kit. I forget, mm-hmm. I forget what they what they call them. Starter kits, beginner kits, beginner set, yeah. starter set. But, 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 but you know, but, you know the one. It, it has a lovely box set with um, pawns and maps and simplified booklets and stuff. That's oh, that's okay. a good one too. And loads of games do quick starts and and stuff like that. Mm. So if you wanna if you wanna sort of like just dip your toe in for the first time, trying out one of those types of sets is. If we're talking D and D specifically, yeah, yeah, like Go Find Over is. Yeah. It's the way to go. It's a, it's a solid module to start with. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's a good one as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a surprisingly good module, that one. Comes comes with a pre-gens that you can use mm. if you don't fancy make your own. And it's a great way to, I suppose, to find out if you like running uh, D&D. Yeah. yeah. Um, more generally, uh, you can do things like use a Session Zero, which I think we've touched on before. I we mentioned that when I, it was like our first episode, or my, maybe the yeah. second, but yeah, we talked about Session Zero there. I'm a big fan of them, I like them. Yes, yeah. Um, should we recap one? Just yeah, absolutely. To... absolutely. It's like getting expectations. Okay. And that's, that's a lot of what the GM jobs is about, in my opinion. Setting expectations, meeting expectations, and helping people adjust theirs to be a bit more like yours. Yeah, I mean, uh, Session Zero has often involved character creation. Yes. Uh, which I always like doing as a group activity. I know some people prefer just have their players come to the table mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. their characters created already. Yeah. Uh, I, I like doing it as a group activity because I find that an enjoyable process. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of different ways you can have your uh, characters be a party because you're really talking about the characters. Uh, so themes, that's a, a surprisingly strong way to get a group of adventurers together. Because mm. if you... If you have characters created in isolation and you just have all these... So here's a question then for yes. you. Do you like to have the characters meet in-game or do you like to have them starting already knowing each other? It's going to depend. I'm actually a big fan of in-media res role-playing, mm. which in-media res is term meaning you're starting in the middle of the action. Mm. And I, I love doing that. Um, I will... So yeah, it's a solid technique. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it makes sure you're engaged from the start. I mean, essentially, I still most of my stuff and ways of doing things from film mm. big film fan so if you've seen it in a film chances are that i probably ripped it off yeah. at one point in a role-playing game session i think yeah i think some of the sort of really really classic ones james bond and mm. indiana jones they both oh, start yeah. with those sort of like little mini adventures beforehand <laughs> before you launch into the main plot so you see them right in the middle of that adventure yes or right at the end of that adventure as it were yeah um, fleeing desperately. <laughs> yeah, usually, usually it's fleeing. Yeah, but <laughs> it's 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 the mark of a quality in the James. Is yeah. he fleeing? Good, good. <laughs> you know you're in for a good one. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Starting in media res is good. I always like the characters to already know each other. I don't yes. really like doing in character introductions in the because I find it slows things down. It yeah. never works out quite as well as you hope it will. And it's much better just like right. It's up to you how you know each other, but all of you know each other and have worked together before. Yeah. Um, we're not going to have any of this awkward introductions and people wondering mm-hmm. if they can trust each other or not and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, you, you, you could do such thing, but I often find, in effect, you're just wasting valuable game time. Mm. And it could mean that one of your players is staying true to their character, but has no reason to join the party or every reason not to. Yeah, I mean, some of, some of that is kind of like just about player buy-in, though. Yeah, and yeah, suspension of disbelief. I mean, often you could, for role playing reasons, say no, my character wouldn't 
join this party and mm -hmm. go on this mission. But there's a certain suspension, but we, you guys have all gotten around this table together to play this game. Mm -hmm. There's a certain sort of social contract not to put obstacles in, in that process, I think. And uh, if, you, if you start playing a character who refuses to go on the adventure, that's just, mm -hmm. to be honest, that's just annoying. Well, that's about expectations. Yeah. As a GM, I'm very clear about my expectations. I expect you to make a character that wants to be on an adventure. Mm -hmm. Because I played it at university was probably where I came across so many characters that mm. my friends made, and they didn't want to go on adventures. Yes, exactly. Have you tried playing a Call of Cthulhu game where people's reaction to anything even slightly tentacular is like, nope, and hole up? Well, to be fair, in Call of Cthulhu, that's a fair enough tactic. It, it's the sensible thing to do. It's the, it's the smart thing to do, but it's not the fun thing to do. Having your character live as long as possible, I would say, is not a design goal you should embrace. But yeah, how's last game? So you've got so you've got your box set, you've read through the stuff. It's yeah. very exciting. So the question is, how do you pitch it to your players? Hmm. Well, I'm I'm of the opinion that the less you say the better. Yes. Because players are not going to take in a massive info dump. So if you want to get information to them, you want to try and gradually give it to them during play. Yes. Now, yeah, they'll take it in there. But if you give them like an essay to read or give, or read out sort of two pages of box text at them at the beginning, <laughs> they're going to switch off. I know I would. It's just... Yeah, uh, no, it's fair, it's fair. Uh, I, I am terrible for not reading the setting information. Yeah, so give them the minimum amount they need to get started. Yeah. And then you can drop the rest in as you go is my general... So give them, give them the most exciting, the hook. You're going to find a hook yeah. to what, get them in. What's, your, what's basically... Short hook, yeah. you, you need to like elevator pitch, which is like... Yeah, how, how long pitch. is an elevator ride? Like, to, you know, uh, it's an elevator pitch because yeah. I don't know, a lift pitch sounds a bit more strenuous, I guess. <laughs> also, it's an American saying. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so you've got like maybe 10... What, what is your game about in terms of what's the, what's the mystery mm -hmm. or... What what's what's that? What is the hook to catch yeah. people's and also at the same time? I mean, you mm -hmm. you can stick this on like one sheet of paper, I think, and give them a sort of. Um, I've, I've tried this in the past. You, it's, mm -hmm. it's almost like a movie poster in, yeah. in its simplicity. Yes. So you have an evocative picture. Mm -hmm. You have a very short, like two or three sentence description of the mm -hmm. setting or world or yeah. sort of uh, storyline you're introducing them to. Um, you briefly list sort of the things that uh, you could sort of say, right, this is basically, uh, say you're playing D&D, &D, for example. Mm -hmm. yeah. You could say, uh, this is uh, a Bronze Age setting. So nice. um, you can only have uh, weapons of a certain sort of like tech level or yeah, level yeah. or something or yeah. any, any sort of like mechanical restrictions or you can't have these races or you can have these races yeah, yeah. or these additional races are available or whatever mm -hmm. you stick that on that page but you keep it short so yes. you've got one sheet of paper if it, everything has to fit on that yes. sheet of paper and nothing should be more than like a paragraph long absolutely yeah I mean one of the things I've talked about for modern day games mm. of the science fiction games is job adverts mm. which is you have a thing and say well I've got this plan What's the sort of person yeah. that would like to go on it and write a short job advert? One for good it. thing about modern day or any real world games is yeah. they're so easy to describe because people know what yeah. the real world is. Conceptual so you, if you just say, if you just say to them you're in New York in the 1980s, mm -hmm. people know what you're talking about exactly. You don't have to describe it to them. They've, seen, they've seen movies. They know. <laughs> no, well, yes, yeah. <laughs> you know. well, yeah, so uh, I, I mean, uh, New New York in the 1980s is getting on for about 40 years ago. So. Yeah, but they've yeah. seen movies. Absolutely. Well, well, yes, not, not all movies are set in New York in the 1980s. But yeah, no, your point is taken. And that's one of the things I think is quite an important thing to do. You can either have a new rule system or you can have a new setting. Trying to do both is where people tend to come unstuck. Yeah, unless but, it's really, really high concept. And yes. And has got such a strong grab to it that, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're desperate to play it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, absolutely, it's like I think part of the reason that D and D is so popular is because a, you you know what you're playing. You're playing Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. but you have a lot of flexibility on the setting. Yeah. But if you wanted to do something different, you almost have to go to more basic stories. I feel. Sure. I mean, D and D is interesting because D and D is its own genre and setting. Really, it has become so definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, D and D is definitely its own genre. There's no other game that plays like D and D. Yeah. And it's got so many staples now. Your, mm. your character classes, your yeah. fireballs, and your all this sort of stuff. Um, the, it's just so heavily ingrained into the system and the setting. Mm -hmm. the, 
And, and character classes can be very, very useful for new players. Mm. If you don't have character classes, you're trying to design a character from the ground up using points by, say. Yeah. Really super easy to make a character yeah. that's... Yeah, I mean, they're basically real... archetypes, aren't they? So yeah. your players understand the archetype of a barbarian. Yeah, and, and also... They, they know what that means. They, it's hard to mess up creating a barbarian because there's very little for them to do. Mm. It's like, you maybe roll some dice, which I personally hate, but that's a rant for a different time. And then you've got a barbarian. You, mm. Assuming you've assigned strength to the big stats, assuming you've put something to constitution, you're done. Mm. Whereas... If you're trying to create, say, a character for Vampire Masquerade or something, mm. then you have choices to make. Choices which you are not well equipped to have an opinion on. Mm. Because if this is your first role-playing game, and you're an ex- inexperienced dungeon master, inexperienced storyteller, inexperienced games master, and you're trying to give your players, who, let's face it, will probably be even newer than you, mm. they're going to say, well, I don't know, what, what, what should I put my points into mm. what decisions should I make and that's that sort of having to make these decisions which will affect the rest of your game without information that are, that are actually quite intimidating if you think about it how are you about letting people change characters after a few sessions if they, they haven't like gelled with the character they've got I'm absolutely fine with it yeah. I prefer them to keep the same name mm. and like general appearance but having them change stuff around here's a question do you refer to uh players by character name yes so do you say it's john's go or do you say it's rathgar the barbarian's go yep uh 100 rathgar the barbarian's yeah. I'm, I'm weak on that i tend mm-hmm. to say the player name and i know i should i know i should but, uh, but it's what it's what you feel comfortable oh no with. it's not i would definitely prefer to and i think it's more immersive to do so <laughs> but, but i don't I, I can I, often i don't even know the characters <laughs> <laughs> Well, coming from a club setting, it's like I've got a lot of different names to learn. Mm. And so I always find it best to just stick with one set and stick, stick with those names, write them on a bit of paper in front of me. I mean, that always helps, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then go with that and then just say it. And it helps the players out too because mm. it helps them stay in character. And if they've got, if they're doing things like they're doing accents or something like that, mm. I love that. I think it's the best in the world. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to keep up, but yeah, if people yes. are doing it, that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, remember you were talking last week with Pat Stephen about yes. live streaming and how mm. on live streaming people mm. tend to have a voice for the entire four hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a lot more um, role-play oriented than some tabletop games are, yes. I think, mm-hmm. um, just because of the medium. Of course, uh, yeah, yeah. It's mainly about voice, so... Uh, yeah, people stay with, you know, a character in an accent or a voice for mm-hmm. the entire duration of the entire four-hour thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's a very, very immersive when they do that. I mean, not everyone oh. can do that, to be no, fair. No, no, no. I mean, uh, my voice acting skill is a minimal at best. No. And there is nothing wrong with describing things like, um, you were talking about Rafgar, if you say, ah, I hit it with my axe, that's Rafgar, that's fine. If you say, uh, Rafgar snarls, takes a step back and swings his axe forward in a mighty blow. That's completely legitimate. Yeah, yeah. So, and we were talking about how you start a game, then. So yeah, yeah. so we got we got we got the pitch, which is the information mm-hmm. written thing. Now it's just like finding people who would be interested in doing it. Okay, I mean, with me, it's probably different to you because I yeah. sort of just have the I have my Thursday night group. Yeah, yeah. and we stick with we stick with that group, but we finish one campaign and we go on and play something else. Mm-hmm. And usually, our rule is. Yeah. We're all happy to play anything, yeah. generally speaking. Oh, it doesn't really matter. It's more about getting together and having fun together. Yeah. Any game we'll play um, within reason. Um, so what we what we basically say is, if the GM mm-hmm. is excited about running it, fine, we'll play it. Yeah. And the worst thing that could possibly happen is you're playing a game that the GM's not excited about. That's, yeah. the, that's the first thing that's going to kill a game. Oh, absolutely. So it always has to be a campaign the GM is excited to run. And that will come, you know, if the oh, GM yeah. isn't having fun, the players aren't having fun. Oh, that's well, a fact. Well, well, the thing that people often forget is the GM is actually a player yes, too. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's, I say, it doesn't really matter what sort of game mm. you're running. You might be wanting to do high fantasy. Mm. And if it's coming out as sub-Monty Python level humour. And yeah. let's face it, that does happen quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you mentioned the other day about some people that came to you and sort of said they would only play one particular game. Yes. Which, you know, yeah, you know, I suppose fair enough if that's what they want, that's what they want. But for us, definitely, it's we'll play anything yes. as long as the GM's happy to run it. Cause yeah. it's, it's their, we, their can, we, we, well. we can enjoy any game. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've always liked about 
RPGs is they're relatively low barrier to access. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, you don't need to have a computer. Yeah, sure. I mean, in fact, if you're a new player, you don't even need a book, do you? You can just no. turn up to a game and decide whether to buy the player's handbook or whatever later. Yeah, yeah. If I... you decide to stick with it, then, then maybe you'll buy yourself a player's handbook and some dice. But at yeah. first, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just join in a group and you know, see if you like it. Exactly, exactly. You've got, like, the system reference documents all online and so forth. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people just use their personal devices. And that, that, that's uh, definitely... A good way to go. Mm. Yeah. But a session zero, it's about setting expectations. Yeah, I agree, yeah. We, we, we diverge so, massively off topic, as is our want. <laughs> <laughs> well, what expectations do you have for your players? Uh, well, other than like the scheduling-based expectations. Scheduling, <laughs> scheduling that, right, that worth is, talking about, worth that, talking that about. Is, that is um, a bugbear of mine. Yes. Um, people who don't turn up. Ooh. Now, people who say they're not turning up, that's fine. People yeah. don't, don't, don't turn up without telling anybody. But ooh, oh, my oh, Because yeah. um, some of our players yes. have to come quite away. Oh, yeah. Sometimes um, I'll be up visiting my dad in Thornbury. Mm-hmm. It's a two and a half hour drive to get back in time for our Thursday night game. Wow. If I drive two and a half hours and I get there and I find that people haven't bothered turning up and I've driven for like two and a half hours for nothing. <laughs> steam comes out of my ears. Like, so what I would say is things happen. No. People can't turn up, people are busy, people have families, people have jobs, yeah. whatever. That's fine. Um, if you're not going to turn up, tell people. Yes. Communication is the key there because otherwise you're just screwing up other people's lives. Yes. I, and certainly I would say that's probably the number one way to make sure your game dies is to not have good scheduling. Mm. If you try and schedule it around people's calendars, you don't have a game. Mm. No, it's just, it's, it's not going to happen. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Could you have you ever played in a game which runs on a monthly or even quarterly basis? No, not not that scheduled. No. Uh, mm-hmm. Essentially, what happens is we'll uh, let's say say, say uh, I got uh, Curse's Child. I say uh, mm-hmm. gotten this one looks awesome. Want to run it? And they're all like, fine. If you want to run it, we'll play it. Mm-hmm. So we'll just play Curse's Child. And when we finished, mm-hmm. and that might take what nine months or however long it takes, yeah. like, or six months, depending on what the adventure is. Twenty four hours. Or twenty four hours in your case. Uh, when, when, we, when we when we when we finish, it's like oh well, a couple of weeks before we finish, I should say you know we're coming towards the end. A couple of weeks left. When I think about what we're going to do next, mm. then someone will go oh I've got Hank going to run nineteen eighties Ghostbusters game, Ooh. and uh, people will go yeah all right that'll do. And uh, wh- how long do you think that'll be? Oh a month okay. And um, so, I think that's something actually that probably is worth saying. An expectation that the story will have an end. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a thing. that I certainly remember when I was in my 20s and probably sort of teens, a lot of campaigns didn't end. Yes. Uh, they just fizzled out. Yes. Uh, oh, either from GM burnout yes. or people not turning up. Yes. And that was kind of frustrating. Uh, so th- these days, generally speaking, it does end. Uh, I'm yes. pleased to say we, we have a finite thing. We say this is the adventure. But that is important because also you're telling people that you're not necessarily expecting an open-ended commitment mm. but you're giving them an idea of the sort of scale that yeah. they might be asking to commit to yeah yeah and that, that, that's important yeah well there's different types of groups as well yeah. i mean our group's just going to turn up each week whatever's being played oh yeah so but but you sort of gelled and you sort of know that you all enjoy this yeah it's something that you're happy to consistently prioritize yeah yeah um whereas other people especially if you're newer to the things but might it's like if you've never role played before Mm. then you don't even know if you like it. Yeah, and I suppose if you're new to it, the idea of a game going on for nine months must but sound flabbergasting. Yes. I mean, yeah. when you're used to a game lasting, a board game lasting two hours, Yeah, yeah. and you think that's what tabletop gaming is, and then you realise a role-playing game, how long would this last? Oh, maybe a year. You're probably like, yeah. what? <laughs> Four hours every <laughs> week for a year, maybe more. Yeah. But yeah, it's all, it's all about getting that story out there, and... Um, I think another mistake people tend to make is they want to write epics as sort of their first first um, yeah. first. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of starting a campaign small anyway because mm-hmm. you've got two approaches. Yeah. You get the top down approach where you mm-hmm. sort of draw your big world map mm-hmm. and you fill it with detail and then you fill it with gods and pantheons and cities and countries and <laughs> races and empires and barbarian hordes and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff and the different planes of existence and stuff mm-hmm. and then you start off the game in a small village. Yeah. It's like, what, what, you know, all that stuff you've written. <laughs> um, so my, my preference, and I'm not saying that this is like the right or wrong way to do it, but my preference is mm-hmm. start small, 
Yeah. Literally just write what you need yeah. to start with, which might be a village and a dungeon on a really simple level, a village and a dungeon nearby. Mm-hmm. Just start with that. And then as the uh, characters sort of like grow in sort of stature and start exploring more, mm-hmm. then start filling in the details yes. around, you know, you don't have to do all the work all up front. Yeah. And uh, you might literally just have a village and a, and a dungeon design and that's it. You don't know what's beyond those. And at first, does it really matter? It's a, it, again, this is like drawing on the movie analogy. The sets that you have, like when they're making sets, they don't make a whole house. Yeah, exactly. They make the bits that you're going to see. Yeah. So, it's like a fog of war almost, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. exactly like a fog of war. It's yeah. like, has, has players show interest in certain areas? Mm you're sort of developing it ahead of the players. Yeah. And that can be fun. And of course, one trick to use, which I've used all throughout my sort of GMing career, Mm -hmm. um, is to listen to the players and steal their ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Like, as they speculate about what you're up to, you're like, oh. That's a good idea. Oh, that's that's so evil. I never thought of that. Oh, I'll use that. Marvellous, marvellous. Yeah, yeah, because they'll often come up with better ideas than you have. Yeah, well, to be to be fair, they're like, and they, it's going to be the sort of thing that they're interested in as mm, well. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, which is which is always solid. Um, okay. Last week, I put the Patreon on the main feed. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. the Patreon special, the one with the wax Stephen, because it was like an extra forty minutes. It was really good content, mm. and it did seem kind of a shame to sort of hide it away. Yeah. Um, so those those of you that listen to that, that's the idea of the sort of thing you'll find over on our Patreon, which is over at patreon.com forward slash Morris. Ah, yes. Yeah. Uh, over there, not only do you get the wonderful and warm, satisfied feeling of supporting <laughs> your favourite podcast and enabling us to carry on doing this week after week. Absolutely. You also get access to the bonus content, which includes... Uh, material that wasn't in the main show. It includes outtakes, includes yeah. deleted scenes, includes bonus material, like yeah. for example the forty minutes we spoke to Wax Stephen for last week. Yes. So it's not it's not just outtakes and the spoofs and gag wheels. It's you know it's, oh. there's some really solid content in there. Uh, okay. uh, it's yours four shows a month at least, and all for only a dollar a month. Mm. Or frankly. however much you want to pay. It's totally it's pay as you want essentially. Yeah. So whatever um, you want to pay. I mean, if you if you find it in your hearts to give us a hundred dollars a month, <laughs> we won't tell you no. Yeah. We will take your money and say. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So please do head on over to patreon.com forward slash Morris and just, you know, if you can spare it, just, you know, just enough to buy us a cup of coffee a month would be nice. Or, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. How much does a cup of coffee cost? Well, here in America, it's about a dollar or two for a cup of hot coffee from a coffee shop or about $4 for a nice cold brew vanilla latte. But I make my own cold brew at home, which, if you want my special recipe to save money, you should back our Patreon, where our deleted scenes and outtakes episode will have that, plus over 20 minutes of other content, like a bonus review, another Kickstarter, more gaming advice from Russ and Peter, fake news of the week, time travel problems, Russ freaking out over the Judge Dread Kickstarter, and more. Head on over to patreon.com slash morris to get access to the deleted scenes and outtakes for every episode past and new episodes the day after the main podcast is released. Okay, well, um, thank you so much as always, everyone, for listening. That's the end of the podcast for today. Um, so we'll sign off, and uh, we'll see you this time, same back channel next week. Yeah, same back channel, same bad place. Yeah. Goodbye from me, Peter Coffee of the Southampton Guild of Roleplay. And it's goodbye from me, Morris. Well, what a disappointment that was. I have some thumbscrews around here somewhere. Maybe, after a bit more torture, their podcasting might be a little less excruciating. (laughs) Do you see what I did there?